All right. So welcome to this week's edition of Pipeline Podcast. I say this week, we took about a month and a half off. So if you're a uh, frequent listener, you probably have been really, really missing us. So uh, you're welcome. We're back. Um, Today, we're here with Bill Glenn. He uh, is the head of demand gen at Extra Hop, and he's done all kinds of uh, amazing marketing roles uh, in Seattle. Uh, most recently, I think, Bill, you were at uh, Socrata, right? Uh, not most recently, but okay. yeah. But uh, previously. As he- previously as head of marketing there, also okay. head of marketing at Rightside, which okay. is a new domain extension company Okay. that was acquired by Donuts over in Bellevue. Okay. Yeah, yeah. We know uh, David Rostov from the Avalara days, who's the CFO over there. So, small world. Small world. <laughs> Seattle always is. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, Bill, thanks for uh, being with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Joe. Excited to be here. So, Bill, I, I like to start these off just by getting an understanding of where somebody's coming from. Um, so, maybe, you know, you can take a couple of minutes and just tell us how you got started, how you got started in marketing, like, what was the thing for you that said, like, this is what I want to, this is what I want to do with the next, you know, 40 years of my life. Yeah, absolutely. And I I think it's been a journey. Maybe that's the best way of saying it. Um, I started my career in public relations um, in San Francisco, which was a really interesting first job. I was 20 years old, had just moved from Chicago and uh, and ended up in a seven person startup. And so I think that that was how I got a startup bug in me. But we intentionally had two accounts that we were working with seven people and that was Hewlett Packard and Novell. And so interesting, two good, good accounts, two good accounts. Yeah. But interestingly, and I'm uh, certainly dating myself, but uh, all the talk at Novell was about how network computing was going to be the next rage of uh, of the 90s. So, right. you know, fast forward. <laughs> they, a, were a few right years and they were right. Yeah. They were right. But it was uh, it was an amazing experience. And I think, you know, gave me that that sense of you know, what does it mean to actually build a brand and build right. a reputation in the market? And um, interestingly, I think, you know, um, probably the two biggest uh, catalysts over the course of my career, one was actually leaving the marketing world for a little while and mm-hmm. actually carrying a bag and getting into this into a sales profession. So you actually, after after you were done in PR, you actually went and worked as a sales rep. I did intentionally, oh, really? and um, and part of that was because uh, of a family-owned business situation where I was trying okay. to figure out if that was something I wanted to do for the long term. So this was your like a, a business that your family had started. That's or, correct. Yeah, okay, that's got correct. It. So and completely out of the technology space. So it got was it. one of those life-defining moments of do I want to you know go this route of. Uh, a construction company and something that had been right. in my family for over 80 years right or did I want to go the you know stay the course if you will of, uh, of technology and, and and intentionally technology marketing so it was a it was a defining moment in my career to uh, you know have the opportunity to be in a direct sales uh, position where I really started to understand you know from the standpoint of uh, what it means to be thinking in terms of customer and customer experience. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of marketers, if you don't have that opportunity to be face-to-face selling and get to know the customer and get to know and build the relationship with them, it's a lot harder, I think, as a marketer to really understand when you say ideal customer profile and what does that mean and what makes the customer tick. You really mm-hmm. have to get in their shoes. And I think there's no better way to do that than you know being in a direct sales position. 
Right. A lot of marketers have an idea of who their ideal customer is, right. but not necessarily who sales ideal customer is That's or ideal right. lead is. Yeah. And we talk, I'm sure we, I know you've talked about a lot on the podcast is sort of that relationship between marketing and sales. And I know that's going right. to continues to be a, a key theme for, you know, uh, both sides of the house, but intentionally, um, if you have that, uh, if you have that understanding and that appreciation of what it takes to do a sales role and also then what it takes day in and day out to keep not only foster that relationship with the customer, but keep that relationship going long-term. I think that's where you start to get smarter as a marketer to say, you know, people buy from people. And once you start to understand the dynamics of that relationship, then your marketing message gets better because you, you try your best to keep out that marketing jargon and you intentionally try to, to speak in the voice of the customer, but in a way that's both credible and um, you know very simple and straightforward. Because the the more marketing jargon you get, the you know the more challenging it becomes for your buyer to take you credibly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I get emails every day. I'm sure you do too. Where you look at it and you say, Yeah, I I, I can see that this was written by a marketing person. You know, it it's clearly you know very well thought through and like you know they clearly spent you know days going through multiple revisions or whatever to to give me this piece of content but it just doesn't kind of ring true i mean that's right you just kind of want somebody to cut the bullshit and tell me you know what's what's the where's the beef like where's the value that i'm going to get out of this yeah and and tell it to me in my terms right, right. understand the way that i think about it understand right. the what's way that my, i speak about what's it, my right? pain right you know what problem am i trying to solve what benefit can you provide? That's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So I think, you know, that was step number one in terms of, you know, turning point in my career um, was having that direct sales experience. I think turning point number two was actually moving to Seattle um, mm. and having an opportunity to officially start my career in marketing and more along the lines of product marketing. Yeah. Um, and, you know, at that time we were, uh, I worked for a company called Onyx Software, mm. um, which uh, a number of the founders from Onyx went on to, to formulate Smartsheet. So that's probably where mm. you've heard about that organization. But it was a great opportunity for me to work with, you know, uh, people who were uh, n- definitely number one in their field as it related to customer relationship management, mm-hmm. but intentionally going uh, up against a, you know, 800 pound gorilla and Siebel at the time. And right. we had to be smarter as marketers. We didn't have the same budgets, the size of Siebel. And right. so uh, creativity became, you know, the key in terms of uh, that marketing team's success and really being able to think for the first time about uh, integrated marketing and what it meant to be firing on all cylinders. Because if you if you intentionally said you're going to outspend them in live events or you're going to outspend them in uh, email marketing, there was no way to do that. They were right. you know they were too far ahead of us. But we intentionally got creative on the way in which we started to use webinars and specifically mm. featuring our customers first and foremost as the fact that they loved our technology. Mm. And without that ability to you know have our customers speak for us. I think we would have just been lost in the noise of marketing jargon. So uh, putting our customers front and center was really the maybe the number one marketing tactic, but also a strategy that allowed us to punch above our weight. Yeah. And you've done uh, a number of kind of innovative things like that. I mean, because you've been involved in so many startups, I imagine you probably found yourself in that situation a few times where, okay, we're going to go up against... Other companies, like there's never enough money, there's never enough people. How do you have you approached this situation? Yeah, yeah, it's it's a. Uh, it, 
I don't know if I have a, um, uh, a, a, an issue as I think about like where I want to, you know, put my time and effort, mm. but, um, but I've sort of prided myself in my career of, um, working with challenger brands and working with, mm. uh, up and coming brands, but on big challenges and big opportunities. Right. And, um, I think to me, that's the thriller. That's the, you know, that's what gets me excited every day to, to come to work is to say, you know, we might not have the biggest marketing budget or we might have not have the biggest team of people to go work on said problem. Mm -hmm. But how do we uh, how do we collectively work together and bring together, I think, the best team possible mm. to, you know, um, intentionally go after some of these bigger brands and show that we can not only emerge as a um, as a threat or as a competitor, but intentionally, how do we start to take a leadership position um, by the, you know, the thought of doing more integrated campaigns that allow us to feel much bigger than we are um, or what our marketing budgets might support. So that's been maybe the most fun of my Seattle career is taking a number of startups that from a brand perspective may not be known outside of the Seattle market, but intentionally, how are we going to build those brands and make sure that we're not only known nationally, but also internationally as well? So, and you guys have done exactly that at ExtraHop um, because, you know, it's, it's, I, I believe it's now started to develop a really, you know, well-respected brand, but obviously that wasn't accidental. Um, that right. has been the result of intentional <laughs> effort on your part. That's right? right. That's right. There's been a lot of hard work and, and certainly, um, you know, 10 years as a company, Extra Hop has been around. Um, the, you know, I think two big things for us. One is, you know, our entrance into the security market and mm. uh, validation from Gartner recently that, um, you know, we are one of the leading providers of enterprise NTA, network traffic analysis. Mm. And having that validation from Gartner certainly helps because, you know, it puts us on the map and gives a frame of reference mm -hmm. for, you know, what our solution does in the, in the broader cybersecurity spectrum. But I would say, you know, more importantly, it's our opportunity to get our brand out there through the integrated marketing campaigns. And, mm -hmm. you know, like I started this conversation about how do we make sure that sales and marketing are telling the same story right. in the voice of the customer and, right. Frankly, working with uh, the ideal customer profile of a cybersecurity professional, that's been a fun and interesting challenge for all of us at ExtraHop to get our heads around, especially in the marketing department. And how does that cascade into the conversation that, that sales has, you know, not only building the brand, but also trying to demonstrate the value of yet another cybersecurity solution out there. And there's, you know, hundreds that seem to come into the marketplace every year. And how do we stand out, um, not only in message, but also in just, you know, overall brand promise and value. So this is kind of an interesting problem that I think a lot of marketers have. There's some products where if you're a marketer, you're going to kind of naturally understand who you're talking to. Like if you're selling, well, just for example, marketing software or, right, <laughs> right? you're going to have a. A, a leg up at getting to getting inside the head of your customer for you guys selling to uh you know customer selling selling to security professionals right as your ideal customer um or you know really for any of these kind of really it focused uh startups which i think a lot of our customers are um so like locally i mean like aptio being another good example right. where they have a very very technical buyer, right? Um, how have you approached that 
you know, getting you yourself and your team in the customer's shoes. So you say, you can say like, well, you know, I may not even understand all this, all the lingo or even what people are talking about right. when I step into the office on day one. I've got to go from that to being ramped up and being, you know, conversationally fluent in this space. That's right. And I think, right. you know, it, it's a combination of strategy and tactics. Mm -hmm. And um, maybe if I could, you know, reverse engineer that starting with the tactical side. Um, one of the things that um, I think is important for every team in marketing, you know, demand gen, product marketing, you name it, mm. uh, it gets back to voice of the customer. And so spending time, whether it's with your inside sales team or lead qualification team, listening in on, on calls and being forthright with your prospect to say, you know, we have somebody from the marketing team joining in on this call. Mm. Um, it's an education opportunity for them, but we want to hear the dialogue. We want to understand it in the terms of uh, or I guess the, the lingo of the customer. Mm -hmm. Um, but intentionally it gets back down to, you know, every customer that I've ever marketed to has a subset of challenges. Um, you know, in this case, uh, we call them initiatives that, mm -hmm. um, that we think about from the customer's perspective, but it, you know, they're just like us. They have, you know, they have either goals that they need to deliver on, or they have, uh, obstacles or roadblocks that they're trying to overcome through the use of technology. Mm -hmm. And our tool, our solutions may not be uh, the most appropriate for every customer out there. Mm -hmm. So the more that you can have that dialogue up front to really uh, you know, do that, as we all call it in the industry, right? The discovery call, right. but truly making it not about you know, let's just get a couple of data points on the table and then start telling you about how great our technology is to solve that. Let's actually understand what their long-term goals are as well as their short-term goals and then come back with a more thought-out, well-rounded, formulated idea of which parts of our technology might be suitable for that particular prospect or customer. And then, you know, let's be honest with them as well to say, you know, can I provide value if I understand the broader spectrum of problems or initiatives you're trying to solve? And if I'm if I understand the marketplace more so than just my product, then maybe I can be of value to that prospect or customer by letting them know about other solutions that could be fully integrated with ours or might not have anything to do with ours. But based on what I heard, let's let's give the you know, let's give some additional tips to that prospect to say, here's mm -hmm. how I would think about solving your problem. Some of that we might be able to help with others. We might not. Yeah, Avalara, we were a big you know player in that. Uh, space because most of our customers came from conversations like that where you know NetSuite or QuickBooks or whomever is selling to a new customer and you know that customer has a sales tax problem they would bring us in that's right to solve that but so a lot of people talk about you know this partnership between sales and marketing and a lot has been said about it but I think there's still very few companies that are truly executing on that at a high level um, and it's just the evidence is everywhere right. <laughs> right so how can you as a as a marketing team support sales in doing those things you just said like having better conversations or having you know more more meaningful or more focused interactions for the customer or having you know more customer oriented messaging or you know how, yeah. how, how do you guys Support I think, that, yeah, that extra hop. The, the, the way we think about it, and this gets maybe back to the strategy side of, of the conversation, mm -hmm. is 
you know, we, we do think about account-based marketing, ABM as a strategy first and foremost. Mm. And, um, you know, we, that was a big change that we instituted a couple of years ago, uh, at extra hop was to say, uh, we want to intentionally stay, uh, tightly aligned with the sales organization to understand who are the key prospects and customers, um, and use cases that we want to go after. And we made an intentional decision two years ago to say we are going to be enterprise grade and we're, and mm. intentionally we're going to solve large enterprise problems. Mm -hmm. And that's a very different, uh, unique set of problems, uh, that the enterprise brings to market mm -hmm. than say a mid market or small business. And mm -hmm. so I think that our ability to work closely with sales to say, not only do we want to go after enterprise size customers, but what are the uh, specific pain points of a buyer? And intentionally, as we all know, right from serious decisions, uh, frameworks, that there are multiple people involved in every one of those sales. Absolutely. And, and there's, yeah. you know, there's the direct. The bigger the company, the more people. That's right. That's yeah. right. So your influencers, right? Your champions, your decision makers, your economic buyers, right? Your, uh, right. your procurement, you name it. Um, we, we intentionally need to broaden our set of who is the ideal customer profile mm -hmm. and how do we make sure as there, as the account is going through a buyer journey, not just an individual or a prospect, you know, what, what are the, um, what are the places that we can help from a marketing perspective, move that account further along. So some of it can get very tactical to say, you know, what, what is the right message in an online advertisement that we want to serve up to that particular account mm -hmm. others it gets back into the initiatives and how do we make sure that for a quarter long or even a year long we know what some of the major pain points are of those pot potential buyers and how do we show and demonstrate thought leadership through our content creation and then bring that content into the market either through uh digital um, plays like online advertising or webinars or third-party content syndication mm -hmm. Or how do we also think about an integrated mix with an offline um, element to that? So live events is a huge part of our overall mix um, in terms of marketing spend. But doing that alone would not be nearly as effective as if we didn't think about that combination of both online and offline at the same time. So how do you think about building a team to support that? Because, I mean, when you say, oh, we're going to do these integrated campaigns, yeah, everybody wants to do that. But again, just like we were saying earlier, very few people really succeed at making that effective. And you get drawn into all of these like attribution questions right. and like, is this a sales generated lead or a marketing generated lead or, you know, so how do you guys, how, how do you, how have you gone about building teams to approach that, you know, kind of meta problem of building uh, an a truly integrated you know, strategy. Yeah. I think, and I think the, um, you know, what we've done at extra hop is, mm -hmm. is not different than how I've thought about building teams over the course of my career is, um, mm -hmm. you know, first and foremost, it does take a team. Uh, mm -hmm. and so, uh, I think any marketing leader out there, good marketing leader already knows that, that, mm -hmm. uh, even in a startup environment, um, where you may not have the opportunity to add a lot of headcount at the beginning, mm -hmm. you intentionally have to think about, you know, what are the, uh, the right resources to bring to bear at the right time over the course of the maturity of that company. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, I, I spent sure, a lot. Sure, because you wouldn't want to do the same stuff when you're a two-year-old startup that's as you right. want to do, you know, when you're a 10-year-old startup that's trying to become an international brand. That's right. Like, that's right. you might deprioritize Gartner, for example, or analyst coverage early 
and prioritize it later. Or as you said, you guys a couple of years ago intentionally decided to focus on ABM as a strategy and enterprise. That's right. And I think for, for us at Extra Hop, um, when we've made a hiring decision, we've we've looked holistically at the business hmm. and we've said, you know, is is that one additional headcount um, worth more to us to build more awareness right now? And we want that to be on the communication side of the house hmm. or in customer evidence versus more of a pure play demand gen, you know, SEM, SEO specialist. Mm-hmm. And I think when you, you know, you think about the business holistically, it does allow you to uh, to step back and say, well, uh, for me personally, you know, running the demand gen team here, of course, I would love to add, you know, more and more headcount into uh, into the demand team. But I would much rather say, you know, for the need of the business for the next six to 12 months, if we think that right now, you know, the biggest thing that we can do, for example, in an in international market is to build awareness, mm-hmm. then I would much rather say somebody on the communication side of our house should get that headcount mm-hmm. because we need to land, you know, that uh, we need to land our brand in those international markets more so than we can just go into direct, you know, demand generation strategies and tactics because that dollar spent in awareness will go a lot further earlier on in building credibility and trust with our end customer in those markets. So in a sense, you're kind of priming the pump. That's right. And is that how you look at those integrated programs as, you know, multiple phases of a rollout? We do. And I, you know, I, I know we use the word beachhead or I use the word beachhead before. Mm-hmm. I think that, um, for us, we intentionally want to understand goals up front because mm-hmm. the goals, and for example, in one of our international markets, is vastly different than the goals of the other. Give me an example um, of that. So, I think um, maybe the for, for us in particular, we think about the you know the European market um, versus um, Asia Pacific okay. as two very different um, markets that need. Uh, a different set of marketing touch and a different set of deliverables. Right. And, and what I mean by that specifically is we have a channel first strategy in most of what we do. In fact, uh, just about everything that we do has a, a, cha- a, a channel first intention. Mm-hmm. But in the case of our Asia Pacific region, um, we have very specific countries that uh, think about a either a distribution model or a reseller model that requires more trust and understanding of the brand before that, even that distribution partner or that reseller partner can go and pitch our solution. And so, because so you, you might have very different distribution or reseller partners in those countries, that's right. That just aren't as familiar with your brand, whereas in Europe or North America, you may have people that are already more familiar with you or already are working with you in other countries. That's right. And so, for okay. example, in Asia Pacific, we put more of our dollars into public relations and to mm. brand building campaigns, yeah. e- even broader based digital campaigns that are more about our, you know, our brand promise and our uh, certainly our brand tagline rise above the noise mm. that like without context of who is extra hop and why does you know, what does it mean to rise above the noise? Um, you know, I don't foresee us building a huge pipeline. Right. But that being said, over in, in uh, the European region where we've had uh, more time to mature the brand, uh, it's it's an opportunity to look at our mix a little bit differently mm-hmm. and to certainly continue to put some dollars into awareness, but intentionally work with our direct selling organization and a more mature set of partners who don't need that warming up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the end customer has a little bit more frame of reference around who is extra hop for us to to dive into the next level of credibility, which is how do our solutions bring value to you? Not necessarily, not necessarily having to just explain who the brand is and, and you know, how, where we fit in the 
the broader e- ecosystem of cyber cybersecurity. So you guys would over time, or, or or you would basically shift that you might call it like share of spend uh, towards more directly attributable or lower funnel you might that's say right. activities is that's that fair right. yeah it is fair and and i think you know the added complexity of the channel always makes that more interesting because as as we get more and more success or as we see more and more success with certain channel partners yeah then new channel partners you know want to participate in that in that conversation or be able to offer that to their customers right and then you kind of have to start that cycle all over again of mm. educating and enabling those new partners right before you can just then get into direct a direct selling motion with them that's really interesting because i think a lot of um, a lot of companies do the opposite approach, which is I would say they invest more heavily in share of spend towards the bottom of the funnel, and they only think about expanding upwards. So, like for example, they might invest in a lot of um, you know lead gen activities first, and then zoom out a little bit, and then start investing in like webinars and events. Right. Um, and then zoom out a little bit and start investing in uh, like paid advertising and then zoom out a little bit more and start investing in PR and then zoom out way more and start investing in like analyst coverage. And you guys are saying when you're entering a new market, like you might think about it the opposite way. Like we do. You, you would say, let's start at the top and work our way down over time as we establish more of those more more market trust that's right and and i think you know that shared partnership that i talk about with sales Hmm. that's where we do uh intentionally say to our sales team while we're building that you know that awareness and building the top of the funnel our expectation is you're building those relationships with those key accounts right and as you start to you know develop more of those relationships the two will meet in the middle right i think that that's the fun of this is kind of understanding on a market by market basis right where in that uh meet in the middle process are you and if it requires marketing to then shift some dollars to move more down funnel right to help you know meet in the middle we can do that but hopefully we also have you know our our sellers building those relationships either directly with the customer or through those key channel partners, right. those strategic relationships, such that uh, you know both dollars, if you will, both investments that are being made on the, both the marketing and the sales side, um, we're getting the most out of those. And, and there is a, a, a true synergy that ultimately develops and we have met in the middle. Right. Um, yeah, that's a really interesting approach. So how... I mean, this is kind of an interest. I mean, this this just kind of leads me to an interesting question. But it seems like the reason that marketing teams want to start with at lower in the funnel is because they want to be able to point to, you know, their results and say, "Okay, this is what I have generated," right? Right. Like I generated this many leads, this many sales qualified leads or this many ops or whatever this much pipeline quantify it in some way to say you know here's the contribution i'm making to the organization on day one how do you deal with that i mean how do you guys set up goals early on so that you are still getting the buy-in of sales because it seems like a lot of that support like getting analyst coverage you're getting right you know in the press is it's definitely something that's going to benefit sales i think we all know it but it's not really attributable in any way like getting into Gartner isn't going to generate any leads for you. It's just going to make it easier probably for leads to close or easier for you to have those conversations 
in kind of this, I don't want to say, what's the, what's the right word? I mean, an invisible way, right? Is that, is that fair? Yeah, I think not necessarily invisible, but kind of, yeah, it, it, it is, or maybe, maybe a different way of saying it is, you know, direct measurement versus indirect measurement. And I think mm-hmm. that that is probably, you know, the, one of the age old challenges of all marketers is, you know, if you're thinking about awareness, then you intentionally have to have a different set of metrics or a different set of goals. Right. And, and, uh, you know, let's be honest, this isn't just about communicating to sales about the impact. It's communicating the entire executive team. Exactly. Uh, and, and the yeah, board you in some get, cases. Yeah. Right? Cause, Cause you don't report to sales. You right. report to the CEO and the board of directors, right? That's, That's right. ultimately who is going to care. Yeah. And so, and so we intentionally say, you know, if we can have a different set of KPIs and metrics for the funnel mm-hmm. and for demand, mm-hmm. then we can from an awareness perspective. Certainly the two have to work better together, mm-hmm. but um, me- meaning any investment you make should be thought about integrated and then it naturally becomes better together. Mm-hmm. But if you have a different set of metrics that you can share with sales, for example, our account-based marketing metrics and our touches on the, you know, the tiered accounts and our focused accounts that mm-hmm. sales has prioritized, mm-hmm. that gives us an opportunity to say, you know, the marketing dollars that we spend against those particular accounts, how many of those have actually made it into real opportunities and into the funnel? Right. And then how many of those are coming out on the other end as closed one business? Right. That's a very set of direct metrics that's, you know, fairly easy for us to measure against. Right. Whereas the awareness metrics do become more of a challenge of how many different touches does it take before somebody says, oh, yep, I'm aware of that extra hot brand. And now I'm ready to put them into my consideration set. Right. Uh, that, that's a more challenging problem. But I do think there are metrics and, and a lot of it actually still comes back to more traditional ways of you know, website traffic and how much time, how much engagement time mm. with your content on the right. website. Like right. th- those are super important metrics for us. That's why we make all of our podcasts an hour long. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, I, but hopefully we're, uh, we're entertaining enough to, uh, to stick around, but, uh, but if well, we're right, people leave after right, the first two yeah, minutes, but, so but if matter. we're not, then, you know, they missed this good opportunity to say, you know, it is, it is about, um, you know, meaningful content and it is about, uh, content where value, you know, the value we give to our uh, end customers and prospects matters to them. Yeah. And I do think that, you know, blogs have been a great way, you know, relatively new way. I know that that may sound uh, passe, but um, I still think when you get great blog writers out there, the SEO value from that alone, you know, is hundred times more valuable than us saying, let's go do 15 more live events and hope that we get the right people to show up at those events. Right, right. Well, we solved part of that problem, but we don't have to get into that right now. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about that later for sure. <laughs> um, when you're when you're thinking about content, how do you guys? So, are you guys all generating content on your proprietary owned properties, or are you thinking about content as a strategy of like syndication across other you know industry outlets, things like that, or are you thinking about it in support of? You know, we might try to get an article here that references a piece of content that we've created, for example, and use that as something to pitch. The answer is all of the above. Okay. And and I think that, you know, that's been the fun of, I'd say, the last year for us mm-hmm. is, um, you know, uh, w- without trying to give ourselves too much pat on the back or too much credit, yeah. of course, all marketers want to drive the their audiences to their own website and, sure. you know, be able to stand up to the board and say, you know, look at that website, at traffic, traffic growth, yeah, and, right, right, and all that. But the reality is, you know, and, and as we think about cybersecurity professionals, 
you know, who are we to say that they should all be coming to extra hop to get the latest and greatest, you know, content that should help them do their job better. The reality is there's been hundreds of sites out there for, you know, much longer than we've been thinking about solving cybersecurity challenges. Right. And so how do we make sure that we're, our content is being placed in, you know, the highly credible third party, uh, you know, content uh, avenues and vehicles that are out there. Mm -hmm. Great example of that more from maybe even a business to business perspective, not necessarily technical. We intentionally have, you know, spent money with Forbes and Mm. Forbes brand voices in particular to have a point of view in the market where it's not about, you know, what does our product do, but it's about where do we see the industry headed and, you know, what's our point of view as to, uh, you know, where the, where cybersecurity is going and, um, you know, hopefully to start to influence uh, some of the thoughts and ideas that are, are shaping the industry. Today. Has that been valuable for very, you? Very, very much so. But on the flip side, and I think, you know, maybe coming full circle on that technical buyer discussion right. that we started, right. uh, if we're not in the places where the, you know, more technical buyer lives and breathes and uh, can get into the weeds of, what truly are the you know the differences between the extra hop solution set versus others? Right. Then you know we we will end up lacking some of that credibility. So we put our dollars partially into you know the, the more the B two B Forbes brand voices ideas. Right. But we intentionally say you know places like Dark Reading or mm, uh, SC right. Media, right? Um, or even specific podcasts. That's been a, actually a great avenue for us to get our message out. We right. have a number of employees that. Uh, that have embraced the podcast and embraced uh, the the podcast creators who came from the industry and already have the credibility of cyber cybersecurity right. professionals. And you were saying your CIO, for example, you know, is one of these people that you can pull out. That's right. And I mean, that's pretty rare to be able to have a CIO that you can put in front of a podcast or in front of an it's, audience. It's been a phenomenal asset yeah. for us and, and not just our CIO, um, yeah. but our deputy CISO as well, yeah. uh, chief information security officer. Okay. He, uh, you know, both of those folks are not only on airplanes to help us with live events, mm-hmm. but they're, you know, they're supporting a, a number of our digital uh, efforts as well. Um, and we also have uh, solution engineers that you might say, well, it's a, you know, that's a sales title and, you know, that's not necessarily the type of person we would want to put on a podcast. Mm. But the reality is the, you know, these individuals have built their own brands, their own personal brands and their own credibility by not being over, overly sales oriented. Right. And they're, they're out there to help, you know, deliver value to our end customers. And right. once you see that, you know, those people in action and you not only recognize like the deep expertise that they have, not only technically, right. but they understand like where the industry is headed, then it becomes a fun conversation to have on podcasts and, you know, to have in other places than just, you know, and a, uh, a blog because they have, you know, these folks have great personalities and they also understand the day-to-day life of the, of the technical buyer or the business buyer right. and they can relate to them in their own terms. Right. Yeah. So, th- so you can actually have, you know, more of a conversation than just a one-way message. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what I love the most about every time we stand up and talk at a live event or, you know, some sort of digital opportunity like a podcast, it takes about three minutes before one of those individuals starts talking about one of our customers. And that's the biggest difference, I think, for us is that, you know, we could certainly stand up for 30 minutes and talk about how great ExtraHop is, but that's not how you build a long-term or a world-class brand. You talk about how you solve customer problems in their terms, 
And it's just great that we have, you know, customers who are sometimes willing to share by name, other times they're not. Right. But but either way, they want their story out there because they know that there's value in telling the story and they can help others in their uh, you know, their IT community, IT professional community right. to solve similar problems and, you know, help them get better too. Right. And you can find a way uh, to highlight that customer's success as well. That's you know? right. So it's not just about, well, let me put you on a soapbox and say how great we are. You know, you can say, let me put a spotlight on you and, you know, showcase this success that you have had in your company as solving these problems you know, like we said, a lot of these problems, you know, they may be things we talked about for years, doesn't mean everybody is executing well on them. So right. I think people are always looking for examples, industry examples of, you know, who are who are the folks that are really being successful at making some of these things happen. Yeah. And I would right. say maybe just to add a, a slight twist to that. Um, where I've had the most fun as a marketer mm. is when you can identify whether there's a community in the industry that you're serving. Like an existing community. That's right. That's right. right. And how do we tap into that community and provide a, you know, a, a new stream of value to them right. uh, or a different point of view on an existing problem? And right. um, to walk into any one of those communities more humbly, I think, has been our uh, key to success to say, we don't walk in, you know, the, I think challenger sale would tell you, you know, you have to walk in with walk in not, and question everything. Question and everything. Why are you doing it this right. way? Well, that that's wrong. Have you thought about this? Right. And, and it's okay. Like we certainly want to uh, demonstrate our credibility, yeah. uh, but at the same time, we don't want to walk in and be so brash that people, you know, sort of react negatively to that to right. say, you know, we're all in this together. And when you can find those communities and you can find your place in the community, right. that's when I think brands start to thrive because people not only get the frame of reference, but then you become a trusted advisor and a long-term player in the community, not just another you know venture-backed company that uh, you know might IPO, might get acquired, right. but at the end of the day, you know they're not in it for the long play. And I think that right. you know ExtraHop's a great example of that to say even as a relatively new entrance entrant into cybersecurity, we're taking the long view on this that, you know, we want to help our customers not only today, but 10 years from now. And we took the same approach 10 years ago when we started as a company. And here we are 10 years later, you know, hopefully still de uh, delivering value to, uh, you know, thousands of customers today in our, um, uh, in our portfolio. Right. So in other words, you don't want to go into it saying, well, this is a great community you've got here. Let me tell you guys, you know, all the things you're doing wrong or all the things you should be think thinking about. You want to go into it saying, I'm, you know, I'm a new part of this community. I'm a new voice in this community. And, you know, here's our perspective. And, you know, who wants to engage in a conversation around that? Right. Is that and fair? Yeah, it's it's about being an innovator. Mm. But to, to us, being an innovator is not about, you know, our way is the only way. An innovator right. is, you know, taking inputs from multiple sources. And, you know, even think about it from a coding perspective, mm. right? There's proprietary technology out there. There's open source technology. Uh, you know, I think our our technologists at ExtraHop intentionally think about, you know, how do you, how do you solve a problem? Right. Less so about which technology do you use, but more so how do you bring a collective set of solutions to market 
proprietary or open source, but is it meeting the end needs of the customer the best way? And right. that, that I think has been the fun of extra hop is that we have by far, you know, the, the most savvy technologists that I've ever worked with. But on the flip side, they don't just always go in and say, we already have the solution figured out. You know, they, they, uh, they spend time to think intentionally about what's going on in that customer's environment. Right. They leverage our technology to get a better understanding and assess, you know, are there, you know, for example, are there breaches that we might uncover? But we also go in, you know, saying, well, we detected these really interesting uh you know, we, we might call them anomalies or we might call them uh, variations from the norm, mm -hmm. but we don't just assume that there's, you know, a bad actor at play. We have to really dig in right. and go to root cause before right. we can then come back to the customer and say, you know what, we actually have found something really interesting here that it appears like your other solutions or your other uh, environments haven't detected. You know, let's dig into that a little bit more together. Now we can do right. that fast or we can do that intentionally drawn out more so based on the intentionality of the customer and how quickly they want to dig in with us. Right, right. And that goes back to your your team, right? Um, I mean, to the people that you guys are bringing into every customer interaction. I mean, we, we were talking about this a little bit before we got uh, started, but how do you think about putting that team together like, and I know we I know we talked about this just extremely briefly earlier, but I, I really want to dig into it is like what do you see as the building blocks that are essential, you know, when you're thinking about how to put a team together within marketing? Yeah. And what are the factors that you th that you look for when you're trying to decide, you know, hey, I, I'm sitting in front of somebody in an interview, you know, am I going to hire this person? What are the things you're looking for that are like red flags or what are the things you're looking for? you're saying like, wow, that's a great, you know, that's a great bonus. Yeah. Great question. I would say, um, first and foremost, when we think about hiring at extra hop and certainly as I think about building out any team that I've had, um, being complimentary, um, mm. is helpful, but intentionally understanding what are the very different skill sets or different approaches to problem solving. Mm -hmm. Does the person sitting on the other side of the table, you know, potentially bring to the team. Mm -hmm. So, um, building a team that has diverse viewpoints or has unique experiences that some, you know, the rest of us on the team don't have mm -hmm. is maybe more important than finding the person that might, you know, might on, on paper look like they would gel well because they've done a lot of the same things that we have, but we're hiring because we have a gap, right? right. We have a shortage in some area. And so I, you know, I will look for a specialty, right? SEO mm -hmm. is a great example of that to say, you know, let's, let's really test not, you know, not, let's not just have the candidate talk about one or two examples of what they did to build an SEO strategy or develop a set of tactics around SEO. Mm -hmm. Let's actually, you know, walk through a very deep example of how did they think about the SEO play for the short and the long term, mm. And, you know, what role did they specifically play uh, that individual in, you know, in making uh, that happen. In making that happen. Yeah. And, and if we don't see that level of depth, just like, you know, if you're an engineer and you're trying to hire for, you know, a particular skill set, right. That, you know, you're going 15 layers deep to make sure that you've got the, the person that can deliver on that. It's the same level of depth and, and technical expertise that we were, were in essence digging in for to know that that person really could run a part of a marketing organization mm. soup to nuts and we wouldn't have to spend a lot of time, you know, cross training them on the flip side. The other thing I would say is super important is 
we want to make sure that the people we hire have context mm. for the rest of the marketing organization. Right. And I think that that's really, sometimes it's hard and it can, might feel a little bit like, a, you know, finding that unicorn. Right. But if you have, for example, you know, somebody who says I'm great at uh, account-based marketing, but I deliver it in field marketing and more in live events uh, that I run on a regional basis, mm. I actually also want to test for, you know, have you ever run anything from a digital perspective and how does a digital investment translate into how you're going to think about running your next field marketing investment? Right. So if they have, if they have, have you partnered with that's right. digital to do, you know, for example, retargeting to those attendees or whatever it might look like. That's right. And, yeah. and I, you know, even using marketing jargon, right? Like right. retargeting, like it's like it's we will intentionally test for that to say, you know, how well does, are they fluent? Are they fluent? And when we say account-based marketing, it's not good enough to say, you know, have you done account-based marketing? And then the person says, oh, sure. I've done that before. We want to understand exactly right. how they did it. And so we understand the context for which uh, marketing jargon actually is getting applied in their previous world yeah. uh, so that we know whether, you know, what level of expertise they're going to bring to the table from an integrated play um, across ABM or across, you know, both offline and online. That's a really interesting thing to dig into because, um, you know, you brought up this, in, this example of how, you know, if you're an engineer, we might, uh, we might look at your background, you know, we might assess your, your skills. We're not, if you're an engineer, we're not just going to sit you down at a conference table and say, oh, well, have you ever, you know, worked with uh, Python? Have you ever worked with JavaScript? Oh, okay, great. You know, what have you done in JavaScript? Oh, great. Okay. No, I mean, you're going to dig in. You're going to say, okay, you know, tell me about that project. You know, what technologies did you use? What challenges did you have with that? What unexpected challenges, you know, did the team run into? What parts specifically did you contribute? You know, how did you overcome those challenges? How did you architect it? You're going to ask all these questions to try to get in. And you'll probably, you know, say, okay, well, like, let's talk about a hypothetical problem. Whiteboard that for me, you know. Um, let's talk about a code example. You know, what's what's wrong with this code example? Or will this do what I'm expecting it to or whatever? It's interesting because in, in engineering, I mean, there's a lot of thought that's gone into this on the on the engineering side of like how to assess. And it's not easy to do, but it is somewhat obvious to do it. I think on the marketing side, a lot of people almost forget to do it in a sense like they don't really dig in as deeply you know it, i've seen a lot of marketing interviews that are very kind of superficial because i think people maybe aren't sure where to start i mean where to start digging in i mean yeah and, le and, le and let's yeah. be honest right the um I feel like the the majority of marketers out there tend to have more of an extroverted personality. And right. so they're testing for personality. They're not necessarily testing for skill. Right. You're saying, oh, do I like this person? That's right. Is this, is this person a nice person? Do I want to work with this person? But not, does this, has this person, you know, demonstrated direct, you know, experience or expertise in the thing that they're going to be doing in this job? Or or do I believe that they have the underlying skills it takes to do that? That's right. And it, it, this also might sound trite, but w you know, one of the most important things that I test for is failure. Hmm. And, and I give me an example of that. Well, I think um, anytime somebody comes in and tells me about how amazing every program they ran was, and um, you know, uh, basically every marketing investment that they were given, they knew how to solve that challenge and they hit it out of the park. Um, that's a huge red flag for me. I want the person who comes in and says, 
transparently and I don't I really don't have to dig you know dig too deeply before I get this conversation of you know there were a few things that I tested and tried and there was a certain part of my marketing budget where my leader allowed me to fail and my leader allowed me to you know test for uh, you know a new new approach or a new way to go to market and even in those test scenarios if I hear everything went great in the test then I also you know throw up the big red flag because I yeah. think that we have to the be able bullshit to have, meter yeah, just absolutely. starts going off. Yeah, we, we have to have that conversation <laughs> where, uh, you know, I want to understand what did you learn from failure or or intentionally, um, you know, how would you go about and do it differently? So right. what what that well, most to of me, marketing is failure. Right. 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 <laughs> I mean, if you think, I mean, the, the, our salespeople when they're talking to customers, you know, eight out of ten people they talk to are not going to buy from them, so they have an eighty percent failure rate. You know, in marketing, it's got to be at least fifty yeah, percent on campaigns. I, I, I think of, that's are not <laughs> I think are not going to be effective, right? right? Yeah, yeah, probably so. Yeah. It's trying to find those nuggets that work and that you can, you know, invest more into. That's right. And our CEO says scale. that all day long, and I love that about him. Yeah, you know, he'll say, you know, bring, you know, go do that test and bring me the one that works, and I'll triple down on that. Right. right. But my expectation, his expectation, is. There will be just as much, if not more, that doesn't work. Yeah. But, you know, once you find the things that do, you know, at some point, you know, testing in, in broad strokes, right, or as we're building for scale, that has to go uh, become less and less of the overall strategy because we're getting more sophisticated, not only in understanding our, our ideal customer profile, mm. but then which of those channels is actually working the best for us. And when they start to work, then how do we double and triple down? The other thing we haven't talked about, which I think has been a, a ton of fun is, um, we have a, you know, we're in a very crowded industry. We have mm. probably more than 1200 competitors out there in cybersecurity and it's growing every day, but day to day when we think about like deeper in the funnel and who we compete against there's really only like three or four key competitors that we're up against that you run into the, the, time and, and time again, again right, right? right and and the fun of it of that opportunity is that we've spent probably just as much time analyzing the strategic marketing moves of our competitors right and then trying to find that white space right. against those competitors to say you know, because we have one in particular that it probably has a 10x marketing budget than we do. Right. But we know there are certain places where they don't market well or they've chosen not to make their investments. Right. Some might say, oh, well, they've already tested and tried that and, you know, it's not worked for them. So they've moved on. That's not the case for us. Right. We, we found a way to tap into, you know, certain elements of a marketing mix that um, I won't go to go into in too much detail because <laughs> I want to keep that competitive advantage. <laughs> but for those places that we have, that's where we're doubling and tripling down because, you know, it's, it is a, a clear winning strategy, but it took us a little while to figure out where those, you know, where that white space opportunity was and then convincing our CEO that now is the time to triple, you know, and quadruple down in those places. Well, that's a really interesting thing about marketing, right? Is that it's a dynamic environment. So, by necessity, whenever a competitor invests in one area, that creates an opportunity in another area, right? So, because right. no, nobody can be great at everything. Like, there's no company out there that's dominant in, you know, I mean, most companies get really good at telling their story through one or two mediums, you know, maybe three. So, you know, by necessity, those things are going to end up being saturated, you know, by the company that gets dominant in that area. So if somebody, you know, for example, is like at Avalara, we really focused on channel and on events. And that was 
pretty much it. I mean, maybe a little bit of SEO and, and you know, content and, and paid, you know, digital, but really like our leads came, you know, through those things. And so if you went to any conference, we were going to be there. Like, even if the conference had, you know, <laughs> 200 people right. at it, we were going to have a booth, you know, because we just knew this is our corner we want to stake out. But we had very smart competitors who then figured out, okay, well, let's go into SEO and let's really be extremely strong there. And then, you know, caused us to have to think about that, right? I mean, by necessity, once they got great at that, it got a lot harder for us to be great at it too. So then you have to really think about where can you invest? And yeah. it's always changing because your competitors are always doing different things. That's right. And you, and you don't want to become over reliant on waiting to see what you're, you know, what's the competition doing and then I'm going to react to that. Certainly yeah. you have to be proactive. I think, you know, one of the interesting intersections of marketing and sales right now, we, you know, I started this conversation about, you know, talking about people buy from people. Well, the best defense is a good offense. It, right? it is. <laughs> it is. Right. And, um, and, and yet at the same time, it's, it's an offense that's not just related to silos, right? right. And so when I, when I mentioned people buy from people, one of the most interesting intersections right now is social selling. Mm. And I think that marketing plays a huge role in helping sell, uh, sellers to be better social sellers. By providing content, for that, example, that's and like right. value added tools or toolkits. Yep. Or what, and, yeah. and, and building honest dialogue, right? Sometimes, right. And, and not the case at ExtraHop, but I've, I've, you know, I've had enough experience with other Seattle tech companies mm. where you know, the sellers will say, well, marketing should write all of the social selling, you know, scripts and mm. conversations. And uh, I think that's a huge missed opportunity is, mm. you know, you have to bring your personality as the, as the social seller to bear. Mm. And if you were, if you're relying on marketing to give you, you know, the script or the talk track, mm. we're all going to sound the same. And, you know, quickly we become vanilla and so quickly we start talking in marketing jargon. Right. We want to make sure that the, so, you know, the lead qualifier, the social seller, you know, has a unique point of view and has a personality. And we know they have a personality that is unique to the market and is unique to their particular region. And even just the way they talk to their prospective buyers in the region, you know, that th there's a nuance to that as well. Right. So we might help in marketing to shape some of the key themes and key messages. And they have but, relationships, but too. they have the relationships, right? right? So we're hopeful that even on an account by account basis, they know what that hot button is of that particular account, right. or they've had that dialogue with them ahead of time to say, hey, we were just having that conversation over the phone or face-to-face -face last week. I just happened to see this you know, great piece of content. Sometimes it's extra hop generated. Sometimes it's third-party content. Right. But they already have the, you know, the customer's best interest in mind, and they're reaching out in a very genuine way, which has nothing to do or very little to do with you know, marketing's influence on that conversation. Right, right. Yeah, interesting. So it's more about empowering those people. It's a great way of saying it. It, it is about empowerment and less yeah. about dictation, 100%. Right. That's terrific. One of the more interesting things over the course of my Seattle marketing career yeah. uh, is the sense of a marketing community that yeah. we're building here. Yeah. And we've we've done that more informally with you know marketing meetups that happen uh, typically about once a month. Mm -hmm. And I give credit to a number of other, you know, leading marketers here who recognize the value of, you know, coming up with creative ideas is not just done in a vacuum. Right. But if we can create our own marketing community here, that becomes so much more powerful to be able to information share and be really transparent about what's working and what's not. Mm -hmm. And I think that that maybe has been the most fun of living and working in Seattle is that it is a 
mid-sized city that certainly is has, has grown exponentially, but it still has that maybe that small town feel of, you know, we've built this city together and we will, you know, we will all thrive together if we uh, are able to information share and help each other get further ahead in our careers. And, um, and I'm hopeful that other cities, as they start to, um, uh, you know, uh, grow and develop the way that Seattle has so quickly, that there's, uh, you know, there's other leading marketers out there that are willing to be transparent and willing to share in both their successes and their failures, because mm-hmm. it just helps the, the entire, uh, you know, economic community develop faster and better. If we know that we're, you know, there's a group of us that are trying to tackle some of these big problems, yeah. but we have more than just our own teams to rely on to help solve them. And that's, I, I think that's been maybe the most rewarding of everything that I've done is, you know, besides building great teams, it's, you know, helping to build a Seattle marketing community that, um, frankly, I think is, uh, far better than most that I've seen in other cities that I've visited. Yeah, I agree. I think one of the best things about living in Seattle is the, you know, other people in Seattle. I mean, people talk a lot about the Seattle freeze, you know, <laughs> right. but, uh, I don't know. I, I don't see that a lot within the business or the entrepreneurial community here. Um, I, I think that's fair. I think yeah. that, uh, and, and I do think the Seattle freeze is real. I will say oh, that yeah. having come from Chicago, I, you know, 18 years I don't years know any ago, of my but... neighbors. So if that t- <laughs> I think we know two neighbors. So right. if that tells you anything, you know. Yeah, but I think that, you know, maybe it's our <laughs> job as marketers to to unfreeze the freeze right? yeah. <laughs> and or thaw the city a little bit. And, you know, maybe that's the warmth that we can bring is that, you know, we want to help grow and develop other people and other companies and we're willing to share in our um, experiences to, you know, help others move, you know, move ahead in their careers faster and further. Yeah. Well, we certainly hope you'll come back and keep, keep doing these things with us. And, you know, likewise, we'd love to, you know, love to do more uh, things with you in the future. Yeah. Likewise, yeah. it's been, it's been a great opportunity. And I think Bonsai is a, a fantastic company that is, um, I'm excited to have you guys as part of the the Seattle tech community and serving marketers and sale and sellers. So thank you for this time. And, um, I would love to come back in the future. Yeah, for sure. We'll do it. All right. Thanks again. Thanks, Joe. See ya.